When Mad Men ends, can I have all the props? What was Mickey Mouse on when he saw the dancing mops? Election fever is gripping the nation all around Britain. People are practicing posting a ballot paper into a box. What a thrill! And uh, so exciting, isn't it? Thinking about which of three dispiriting boxes you might put a pencil in. Here's an election-related problem from David from Scotland, who says, "Whilst walking up the road home from work this evening, I looked up at my flat to see a Alex certain." Alex Salmon threatening us to vote for him. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up at my flat to see a certain political party's poster in my own living room window. Okay. Not being a supporter of this party, I am not keen for their poster to be in my window. When my flatmate, the putter-upper of the poster, returned, I explained that I didn't feel right with a poster for a party I don't align with in our window. Mm. I asked if he could put it up in his own bedroom window and show his support from there. He says, I'm being unreasonable by not allowing it to go up. He suggested polling our third flatmate, little pre-election practice, (laughs) and going with his decision. However, even if they both support this party, I don't feel comfortable with the poster in our living room. This feels like an episode of Coupling. This doesn't feel like the kind of thing that would actually happen in a real person's house. So, Ollie, answer me this. Am I being unreasonable by not allowing the poster in our living room, or am I in the right? Vote now! (laughs) That is a fascinating dilemma, actually. It is. Um, Because my instinct is, David, no, you're absolutely in the right. Indeed. Um, But I then thought about it, and I thought, but if you were in a house share of, say, ten people... Mm and the other nine all voted for that party, then you'd say, well, nine out of the ten, nine-tenths of us... That's democracy. That's democracy. Support this party, so we'll put their poster in the sitting yeah. room. Well, in so now, some systems, one-third is uh, still the ruling thing. Well, exactly. Your flatmate does have a point, that if the other flatmate supports that party... That's a straightforward majority. To an extent, they'd be within their rights, but that's not considering your feelings. No, so David's flatmate needs to form a coalition, a living room coalition, (laughs) to get this poster. But still, what is wrong with the flatmate not wanting to display it in his bedroom? Surely to the passerby... Uh, that window wouldn't mean something different to them. Well, from it depends. The I, I'm guessing that the living room window is more prominent. Mm. Um, also, I, I mean, it's interesting. I made a joke about Alex Salmon earlier. I mean, David doesn't say which party it is that he's referring to, but actually, you know, across the referendum, the SNP were uh, being accused of mm. being involved in, um, you know, intimidation. Some people were saying, say like, if, you, if, you, so. if, if you're not a supporter of the SNP, you're less likely to put up a big poster because they're so popular in Scotland at the moment. Mm. So I, I can imagine that if you come home to your house and you feel uneasy about the Scottish National Party, seeing a big poster of the SNP, especially if you're a Labour supporter, must feel quite difficult. Maybe you could put up posters of every available candidate. The truth is, most of us feel about the parties that we're going to vote for that they're the least worst option. Most of us don't feel that passionate about about the posters, and that's the problem, isn't it? It's only the mm. people who feel really gutturally excited by a party that put a poster up for it. You know what would win the election for any of these people? If, say, Nick Clegg got Olivia Coleman to make house calls, mm. then everyone would be like, yeah, whatever you say, Olivia Coleman." If Olivia Coleman goes around everyone's house in yeah. a marginal seat in just, the country... Just with her kind face, <laughs> I think people would go for whatever she wanted. She Maybe. holds that power yeah, possibly, yeah. with her face. Where I am, um, we have an almost unmovable Conservative majority. That's what happens when you move out of city. When you move to the Green Belt, yeah. yeah. And when you drive to where I live, you go down uh, an A road, and the only advertising for any political party that there is anywhere in the whole constituency that I've seen including in the major parts of the town, Mm. uh, is a series of, I wouldn't call them billboards because they're just like tiny little posters on sticks. You know the ones I mean? Yes, yes. They're almost like banners that you'd hold in a protest. They're that size. Yeah. Or like estate agents boards. Exactly. 
And the Tory candidate, Oliver Dowden, he's bought what appears to be 150 of these, and he's just lined either side of the road with these banners. So what do the banners say? Nothing, just his name and his face. That's all he needs. Name and face, and then Conservative. And I just thought, he actually had an opportunity there when I was driving past to pitch me a policy. Like a kind of Burma shave type thing. What do you think about immigration? None of that. Just his face and his name. It's almost as if he's just basically, do you like white men? Do you like fields? That's all you need to win in the green belt. It's probably quite a fair pitch, actually, for Hartsmere, yeah. Maybe he's not even standing. He's just like... I'm Oliver and I'm a Conservative. Oh, wow, that'd be amazing if it wasn't a pre-election tactic, you know, vote for me because you like these fields and you like my face. But Mm. instead, it was just the beginning of a reign of terror, whereby (laughs) if he does become MP once again, he'll start putting pictures of his face over every field. And every window. Indeed. You'll open your curtains and there's Oliver Dowden. No sunshine for you, just Dowden face. (laughs) But that is equally what he's promising with just his name and a face and a poster. Yeah. I don't know anything more than that. Let's reel back and help David with this predicament. One option could be to dirty your window. Throw some mud or an mm. egg at it. Yes, throw an egg throw at your egg own window. <laughs> no, throw an egg at your own window from outside so your ah. flatmate thinks that somebody has taken exception to his poster. Oh, I see. I thought you meant whilst you're in the kitchen, just throw an egg at the poster from inside. These things do happen, but that will only serve to glue it further to your window because egg is a very strong glue. You could cause house warfare, David, by taking the poster down or turning it upside down or not taking it down in a deliberate looking way but making it look like the blue tack has failed and it has fallen on the floor behind the sofa where it is hard to pick up again mm. i disagree i think i think um canvassing or advertising for a candidate is a much stronger political statement than voting for them in the privacy of the polling booth i think he has every right to say i don't want to be an advert for this person just take it there or you could, if it is just their name and a face a la oliver dowden you could just put an a4 piece of paper next to it saying is a cunt Yes. <laughs> then you've Good. covered both sentiments, haven't you? Yeah, subversion. Yeah. And if they don't like it, and be like, well, we'll both take our posters down then. Here's a question from Sarah who says, I'm always stuck in a manky restroom. What a life. If you can call it a life. <laughs> it's, uh, what's the stage between... Uh... Purgatory. Yeah, it's purgatory, isn't it? Purgatory. It's our first ever, <laughs> it's our first ever email from purgatory. Well, we don't know. <laughs> a lot of people don't specify. Um, I'm always stuck in a manky restroom without a hook for my bag. Okay, always when I'm in a restroom... Mm. So not I'm always in a restroom, mm. but always when I am in a restroom, mm. hooks every are lacking. When I'm in a restroom, yes. yes, hooks are lacking, and by bag she's talking about handbag, not yeah. colostomy bag. Well, we don't know. Helen asked me this: What is more disgusting, putting my bag down on the floor, or putting it on the diaper changing table? Uh, mm. I, I think the floor is more disgusting because I think it's easier to wipe down a changing table. I also think that because of its primary use. Uh, if you're the person who cleans that toilet, you're going to take particular care to use wipes yeah, it's on our, that surface. It's at eye level, so you think, well, yeah. better give it a cursory clean. Whereas the floor, I mean, you're tracking waste around yeah. as well as the waste falling there on its own accord. That is, is, is a toilet floor inherently more dirty than the floor outside? Well, this is what I was thinking. I was thinking, actually, being honest, there are probably more germs on a train carriage floor yeah. than there are on a toilet floor. Because, the toilet. because the toilet, so long as it's a reasonably, I mean, she's saying manky restroom, but as long as it's a reasonably reputable business, someone will have to go and clean that toilet at least twice a day. That doesn't happen on a train carriage. Check the forms on on the wall. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you do have probably a higher concentration of uh, various excretions on the toilet floor, and those uh, get... Um, uh, less concentrated the further away people are walking from the toilet place. Yes. I take your point, but people don't walk into toilets to literally piss and shit on the floor. Martin, some toilets I've been in, you do think, 
what went through this person's mind? I mean, she gave us the straightforward choice here between uh, the changing table for the baby or the floor. Changing table, um, uh, unequivocally, I but, would say. But, but I would still say, given a third option, mm-hmm. I would say the cistern is actually probably cleaner than either. Not always a cistern of available, though. Mm-hmm. True enough. But if one is available, yes, it, yeah. it, wouldn't you say cleaner? Because you can you can also go over it with a bit of a paper towel. No one craps on there. It's very well, difficult for <laughs> it's difficult for you, crap to end up on there. People could easily piss on there. Um, By people, I mean men could easily piss on there. Pfft. Yeah, okay, technically they easily could, but you, but wouldn't, not by you wouldn't aim upwards. Yeah. You, you know, you, you can piss on the floor by accident when you're aiming downwards. Depending on the toilet as well, you might get a thin powdering of cocaine on the bottom of your bag. Maybe it has a certain antiseptic quality. Go to a camping shop and buy a portable hook. There's a dead cert Dragon's Den product in this, isn't there? I'm sure it exists already. The portable toilet, toilet purse hook. You know what would be better if you were Dragon's Denning anything? Hover bag. <laughs> I can't wait for someone to invent hover bags, that mainly for suitcases. Yeah. Wouldn't that be such a help? That would be when you're amazing traveling? in the airport. Yeah, it yes. would. Trunky's good, but hover bag hover is better. Bag, hover bag is better. Yeah. <laughs> someone, please. Hi, I'm Nari and Martin Salmon. It's Becky in Bedfordshire. Uh, my cousin Cass wants to know how come when you spill red wine, white wine gets stained out. It doesn't. What? It's just popular wisdom, but it doesn't really. It just dilutes a red wine stain into a pink wine stain that is further spread over your carpet. Well, it surely wouldn't be uh, folk wisdom if it if the efficacy of it wasn't at least increased from using soap. No, they have done tests and they've found that white wine was less effective than using nothing. So what? if you just put your clothes through the wash with not even any soap, that would work better than putting white wine on your red wine stained clothes. Are the tannins not more more soluble in alcohol oh yeah okay it's really stupid how on the internet people try and scientifically reason this but they just say the white wine neutralizes the red wine without Mm. actually going into what that means Mm. but i think it is just the things that stain are the tannins in the red wine alcohol does help uh those not stain so much but white wine is quite an inefficient alcohol with which to do this because it's got a lot of sticky sugar in it it has color itself so if you want to use alcohol for that gin or vodka uh, would, oh, right. would work a lot better yeah okay but then you're still like chucking expensive stuff yeah. all over a stain what you want to do is absorb as much of the stain as possible and then like douse it with soap or a special wine cleaner thing and put it in the wash straight away the reason why this uh, is such a pervasive cleaning myth it must be because when you have red wine often white wine is near at a dinner party say and so it's either chuck white wine on it or chuck salt on it which also doesn't work very well but mm. it does at least absorb some of it but it's quite an expensive way to absorb wine but do you know why this is funny is you've done the Googling and clicked on the third link. Most people, when they're Googling, how do I get rid of red wine stain? It's one of the most frantic uh, Googles yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, no, I, I read a whole study from uh, University of California in Davis uh, where an academic actually tried lots yeah. of different things on lots of different materials. Two but... o'clock in the morning, clearing up from a house party. Yeah. You haven't got to... I think along with, is it okay to have sex with the baby in the room? That's going to be one of the most frantic oh, Googles no. that people do because <laughs> they just want the reassurance. You've got a question... Email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Here's a question from Dave who says, I have a hankering. That's a word you don't hear too often, isn't it? No, you don't. Hankering. Bring back hankering. <laughs> it's the yearning that's fun. It is. It is. It's kind of sexy yearning, isn't it? I don't think it's sexy so much as playful. Yeah, no, I don't mean like erotic, like full thrust erotic. But but more like, oh, chase me. Yeah, exactly. Innuendo. It's like hanky-panky. Yeah. 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 Hanky-panky plus yearning. You probably think handkerchief is a sexy word as well. (laughs) I have a hankering to eat some sort of edible food stuff. As opposed to some inedible food stuff. Yeah, tautology, mate. Yeah, you're... 
your ambitions are achievable thus far, Dave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is older than I am. Okay, how old are you? <laughs> oh, if you're okay. one, that's not hard. Uh, I am 33. It should be mm. something in my mum's freezer from uh, the early 80s. I'm pretty sure my mum's got the odd packet of Smash that's at least 20 years old, but <laughs> I don't know, 33. Twinkie, surely. So, Helen, answer me this. What is the cheapest way for me to achieve my goal, ideally without too much faffing about? Well, I think if you set yourself this kind of goal, then faffing about is part of the fun. Yeah, you've already emailed a podcast about it. I think the faff has already commenced. I mean, otherwise you could just uh, get in touch with the suppliers of extremely artificial foodstuffs and ask them to uh, turn something over to you. So it has to be food and not drinks. They couldn't yeah, have a bottle of wine. Yeah, that'd drink, be pretty easy. Bottle of wine's very easy. Yeah. Whiskey, brandy. Could, I, piece I of wonder piss. how cheap a 33-year-old bottle of wine... If you bought, mm. like, a Jacob's Creek in mm. 1982 or three, whenever he was born... Would would that Just be worth much now? Would it would it cost much now to buy? Because like people, when people are selling thirty three year old bottles of wine, it's always good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. No one ever says this is Blue Nun nineteen eighty two. But I wonder how much <laughs> that would cost. Yeah. Could you get it for a tenner? I bet you could get that on eBay. You could buy a bottle of thirty year old whiskey, couldn't you, for a couple hundred quid? But that's good stuff. Quid? Yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. Yeah, I just yeah, wonder, you know, could you cheaply... He wants to buy something cheap, presumably. He could just go and have a glass of it. He could go to some vintner or yeah. whiskatarian who could just give him a glass rather than a full bottle. True. Anyway, no, he's asking food. for edible food. Yeah. Edible, edible food. So. None of these inedible foods. Apparently they have found edible honey in uh, ancient Roman tombs that yes. is thousands of years old. You it's don't want to go edible. eating in a tomb, though. No, but you can take it out of the tomb and eat it sitting on the tomb. Can uh, you? But, I imagine UNESCO have rules about that sort of thing. But I assume when they do things like where they open up a tomb in Pompeii and they're like, oh, look, we found this fish sauce that's still edible. Mm. They're probably saying technically not toxic. Wouldn't kill you. But we wouldn't put it in our mouths. Yeah. Maybe there's a cheese. It's possible. No, I don't think so. Something like a parmesan. No, well, yeah, possibly. The thing is, is there a ham? Honey is a good one because that's a natural preservative, right? So that can last for a long time. People know that that lasts hundreds of years. Sugar generally is long-lasting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sugar is a preservative. But apart from honey and sugar, okay, is there anything... That is natural that could last that long. Tinned food, natural tinned food. That's it. It's it's basically got to be a processed food. What about um, what about a pickled onion? Yeah, but I mean, you've still got processed there, and you could still eat things like ship's biscuits, things that were developed in order not to go off. So What's like, a ship's biscuit? A ship's biscuit wouldn't last for thirty years. No, would apparently, it? apparently they do. It's a like very dry, rusky biscuit that they uh, had on ships. If you're at sea for years, you needed a lot of provisions when you set off. So for years, you'd just be eating like salted meat and corpses. <laughs> Bits of rotten that wood. amazing. Didn't um, the um, delicatessen slash meat shop in the covered market in Oxford have a ham which was about 150 years old? That's yeah. so disgusting. That well, makes it, my stomach turn. It looked horrible on the outside, but I guess because it's very salted and cured, on the yeah. inside it was... I guess it must have been edible. I've, I've heard of a few of these hams, and I think they, they sometimes take off a little sliver to prove that it is edible. But again, I'm not sure it's nice. What about spices? I reckon... Because yes. my mum my definitely, I know for a fact, her spice rack hasn't been touched since 1999. Mm. Um, there are some there that I reckon probably are 10 years older than that. Um, I know there are none older than that because we had a fire in 1989. Oh, no. So then they'd all be smoked. But, uh, well, that could be nice. But I, certainly, I lived at home from 1999 to 2001, and she never touched a spice then, yeah. and they're still there. Yeah, they won't taste good no, because but after they're technically edible. Yeah, after even a few months, your spices just taste of dust if they come pre-ground. You could do an ancient cinnamon challenge, couldn't you? Yes, and they probably wouldn't be that bad because it wouldn't taste too much. Maybe one way of doing this, Dave, is to find something 
that's not been ready as a foodstuff for the duration of your life, but something that is the same age as you that you could kill and eat. Ah. Like there's some really old lobsters. Yes, I was just thinking lobsters. The average age of a lobster is about 30, isn't is it? it? I think so. The ones, the big ones you see in a tank in yeah. a Chinese restaurant. Or yeah. a really old horse that was going to die anyway. Oh. That feels really wrong. Killing an animal the same well, age as well, you just so you can He eat set it. the challenge, Martin. It's not our fault that it's wrong. He's saying minimum of faff, though. So I think the minimum of faff is just find a granny and ask yeah. her for... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what about a jam? Uh, what about a jam yeah. that's been sealed? Yes, uh, yeah, get, get some jam off her or just ask her for some fruitcake or Christmas pudding because she's probably got a stash going right back to the 1860s. Again, my grandmother in the freezer uh, does have some cake that I reckon... Yeah. I, I mean, I think the limit's probably 20 years because every 20 years the freezer goes bang. Although my mum would, would uh, affect the transfer from one freezer to another. <laughs> Had they not gone through a period in 2005 to 2007 of moving a lot, there mm. would be things, Dave, that I could sell you for a very reasonable fee. Um, <laughs> oh, what about yes, eating uh, sourdough loaf from Boudin's Bakery? Sourdough loaf? Sourdough. Sourdough Boudin Bakery in San Francisco, the famous bakery, claims to have been using the same sourdough starter for their bread since, I think, about 1849. Yeah, but what does that mean? That's the... Th- thing that makes the bread rise so it's the same bacterial colony i mean it may have changed a bit over time but it's the same it's the same pool that you're drawing from so you may be eating a bacterium that was born in 1849 and it's it's fairly likely being a bacterium that was born in the 70s it's not a bad answer but it's a bit of a wanker's answer that isn't it it's much nicer a bit of a strokey bit what about this weird sourdough thing from san francisco dave wants to know where can I get a packet of beans that's 33 years old, well, doesn't he? You, you, you go to a newsagent that's been shut down for a really long time yeah. and just rifle through the stuff that's left there. Actually, mm-hmm. I don't watch the soaps, but I reckon if you went to the sets of Corrie or EastEnders, yes. I imagine they have a newsagent there. Mm. I bet some of the, the goods on the shelves in the, in the not, newsagents... Not so good anymore. They, they're probably still there because the ones that are at the back, the packets haven't really changed if they're at the back. Mm. They've probably got packets of beans there that have been... And strongly lit as well, so they're probably going to kill you, but they'd, they'd be there. They're technically edible. Dave specified that he's unwilling to die in this exercise. He hasn't, has he? he did, well, he did say edible, so I suppose edible does mean not going to kill me. Uh, just means he can eat it. I think the best suggestion was, unfortunately, yeah, animal that is still alive, you know. But what about a plant? What if there's a, uh, I don't know, like a licorice tree, you can chop some bark off and yeah, chew on the root? Bad one. Yeah. That's a little yeah, bit less, less violent. I love licorice. But again, is it is the bark that you're going to be eating then going to be 33 years old what what an easy-ish solution for this would just be to search ebay for some sweets that were discontinued in the late 70s early 80s yes there'll be some kind of sweet it won't have gone off because it was so artificial to start with Mm. and it probably won't be that expensive because it's just a 10p sweet and it will be just as disgusting as when it was fresh yeah and also if you only have one of it if you only have one fruit bolo, that's not going to kill you, is yeah, it? Yeah, one Zoom slab or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Something that remains forever fresh and delicious, even after all these years, are our classic episodes of Answer Me This, which are available at answermethisstore.com. And we've gone back to early 2009 to episode 87 for today's intermission. Hi, Helen and Ollie. This is Alan from Glasgow. Answer me this, please. In the film Dirty Dancing, something's always bothered me. What could it be? That film is watertight. <laughs> At the end of Dirty Dancing, the Patrick Swayze character goes up to the girl, uh, girl's family and says, nobody puts baby in the corner. This makes no sense to me. The whole film is about baby coming of age and becoming this girl, Frances. Surely it makes more sense for them to come up and say, nobody puts Frances in the corner. So answer me this, why does he say nobody puts baby 
and the Connor. Maybe that's symptomatic that even though she's coming of age, she's she's finding a p- paternal figure in Patrick Swayze, and she's been infantilized by her new beau. Or maybe, maybe <laughs> more likely, as, as we found out, is that he he drags her up on the stage. Yeah, and, and then, then he says. He then he makes a big speech and goes. I met someone amazing. She's bloody, bloody, blah, and bloody, blah, blah. And her name is Frances yeah. Houseman. And that is the moment where the father stands up as if to say, Why, you <gasps> little. You can have sex with her before marriage, but you will not call her by the name we gave her. <laughs> but the point is, that dramatic moment would be undercut, wouldn't it, Alan from Scotland? If he'd said, if he'd said when he went up to the table, no one puts Francis in the corner, and then the, he'd have nothing uh, to say on the stage. And her family probably would be like, Who? Now remember, listeners, if you want to send us a question using the voice that you have within, then you can call this number. 0208123 Or you can Skype, answer me this, and let's see who has done that. Hi, my name's Laura from London, and I've recently been watching the TV show Grey's Anatomy. And in it, uh, Meredith's little sister, Lexi, says she has a photographic memory. So, Helen and Ali, answer me this. Do some people really have photographic memories? And if so, how does it work? Not a controversy about this, isn't there? Some people say Mm. they don't actually exist. Yes, I didn't realise that the literal meaning of a photographic memory is remembering everything as if it's a photograph that you could zoom in on with accurate detail Mm. at any point of your life. Mm. Whereas I think the colloquial way to use photographic memory is is somebody who can like learn something very, very quickly in a really detailed, exacting way. There are people like that. But the, the actual definition, as you say, the literal definition of photographic memory, I did always used to think that that was possible but as i say as far as i can tell a lot of people say it's actually just not medically possible to do that well there are people who can photographically remember things because visual learning is often a good way to remember but being able to recall everything that ever happened to you is such a rare condition that scientists had to coin a name for it a few years ago which was a hyperthymestic syndrome because uh, they found a woman called jill price who could remember <laughs> every... it's brilliant when it gets down to the mundane level of an yeah. actually ordinary person, really boring <laughs> ladies and gentlemen imagine a victorian jill man <laughs> in the freak show jill price yeah. the woman who remembers everything she has written a book called something like the woman who remembers everything everything Uh but uh the unfortunate jill price she can remember every single thing that has happened since she was 14 and she says it's unbearable because she she remembered all of these conversations yeah well she says i can remember every insult every embarrassing thing yeah she's a widow so she can probably remember that more than she wants to she said it's like having a film running in her head all the time so it's exhausting and she can't sleep properly so they've been trying to find other people that have this same syndrome and i think they've found a handful now that they've been studying for years and the thing that they all have in common is that their brains are a slightly different shape and so they thought why are their brains a slightly different shape and it might be because of uh, trauma not necessarily a physical one but an emotional one so she might have suffered some kind of emotional trauma at 14 that affected the way her brain is made Mm. that means she is tortured by being able to remember everything but even Jill Price presumably doesn't literally remember in the sense of a photographic memory opening a book and taking a sort of laser copy of it so that she'd be able to remember the third word from the third that, line on the right. It's not that kind of no, thing, No, apparently is that is the way that Jill Price can remember. So she can not only remember what she was doing every day, but also what was happening on that day. So they've tested her and she kept a diary for about 20 years. So they could cross-reference that along with what actually happened factually on that day in the news and so on. Yeah. But a lot of people can teach themselves to remember a 9,000-page book or something. Yeah, but there's all kinds of tricks on there to help further your memory if you're a normal person, if you're not Jill Price. Yeah. But... 
that that is slightly different isn't it that's all the sort of nintendo brain training stuff isn't it yeah and you can't take that to extreme so i think there was one famous example where they had uh, like five thousand pieces of paper and and the guy said put a pin through it and then he named the word that the pin went through on each page because he'd memorized the position of all of the words on these wow. pieces of paper such but a waste of your brain though isn't it because you think in a way yeah it is amazing but imagine if you took all the hours that you spent preparing to take part in this fairly abstract ridiculous challenge and did something useful like just volunteered in a charity shop the thing is though you're happier if you're stupider generally in life aren't you and i think you're probably (laughs) why are you asking me (laughs) well i'm telling you my experience (laughs) i find that i'm happier remembering less yes me too on on a fundamental level i'm very sad about it like Mm. if i actually think oh what was the day like when i was 17 oh i can't really remember that's awful like i hate the fact that i there's whole people that i've forgotten about there are whole books that i've read that i've absolutely no memory of there are conversations that other people remember me having with them that i have literally no memory of whatsoever Mm. that's sad but at the same time until they remind me that i've forgotten them you you can't be sad about what i'm living in a a state of i can't remember lots of things now like today's date for instance but i do have (laughs) like my brain is full of ridiculous stupid little details that i don't need to know and was never particularly interested in and I'd often wondered why I could remember so exactly things I read in magazines in the mid-90s. But apparently it's because a lot of children have like a very, very good memory, but it fades as soon as you hit adulthood, which is when it might come in handy. So maybe I stored all those things up then. Well, you know, you've made great it. use of it in this podcast. Haven't? Yes, I suppose. All that useless information, at least you've managed Not to uh, employ some of this. Still plenty left. loads left. Another eight years left. One day I'm <laughs> going to find the pub quiz of dreams. <laughs> but it is annoying that I didn't use that super memory time that I didn't know about until I looked into it for this episode to learn seven different languages. Mm, well, that's why they say, isn't it, that children should, if they're able to, learn musical instruments and yeah. learn languages because it's easier. But when you're 15, it all starts going. It all starts going, does it? Yeah. It'd be quite handy, wouldn't it, to have a little SD card slot in your brain that you can download thoughts and memories onto for, for later date. No, but that, but that, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure it is handy. I actually think it might be helpful to forget. You know, people say when they go through a really emotionally turbulent time that it's good that things move on, you get better in a way. I think that is partly because you, you literally forget some of it. Mm. I think it is useful to forget some of it. And I think, you know, if you don't have particularly exciting thoughts, at least, yep. you know, repeating yourself doesn't feel frustrating when years later you're still listening to music that is just as unexciting and reading books that are just as uninteresting you're not uh, you're not at least repeating within yourself the same thought process because you've forgotten you've thought it before it's blissful to forget yeah i'm genuinely no i'm i'm with you i'm with you yeah remember this yeah i agree with you uh here is another question though about uh recording things it's from dr david a holmes mbbs which itself sounds like a memory challenge trying to remember his title by the end (laughs) what does that what does mbbs mean a master of big ballsy of big science. bottom studies <laughs> big bottom studies that's good uh, he says ollie answer me this in this day and age of amazing computers etc why is cctv so crap at identifying horrible people that commit crime well you have to question what are cctv cameras doing um yes. and cctv cameras actually have a dual function mm-hmm. uh deterrent number one Yes, but then couldn't you just put up a fake CCTV camera that doesn't have any film in it? Yes, exactly. Presumably they've not got actual film in anymore, they're electronic. No, of course they're electronic, yeah, yeah. But but the point is, deterrent number one, and then evidence gatherer number two. Yes. So if actually you've got a crime hotspot somewhere and you just want the deterrent, yeah, you could put up a fake one and people do. So, you know, when you say, oh, well, the quality of the, the, the film isn't very good, well, obviously to get the best quality uh, image that you can, 
You need the best quality lenses. Which can cope with outside climates and dirt. Yeah, and then you need to clean them regularly. Mm-hmm. And then you need to position them perfectly. Yes. And then you need to store all the footage. And you need the people doing the crime to stand still. <laughs> In other words, it becomes more expensive the better quality you want it to be. Also, is there a problem with the amount of data they're collecting? It can't be the highest quality. Exactly. So most of the pictures that they are collating are compressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they essentially they take fewer frames per minute than you would if you were filming with a video camera. Yeah. Um, because it is just to give an impression. And it does give an impression. Yeah. It does help the police identify, okay, this person was wearing a beige jacket, this person was black or white. It's not supposed to be the high-definition image of them because you couldn't because you'd need a super high-quality camera in exactly the right location with exactly the right light and you need to be storing everything. Yeah. It's too expensive. So it's the compromise between deterrent and evidence, basically. My dad owns his own business Mm -hmm. and uh, has CCTV because his business involves selling expensive things. Yes. And um, he has that thing where there's now an app so you can look at it when you're not in the office. Is your dad now Billy Baldwin in Sliver? He's constantly, (laughs) constantly checking it. I mean, I... You would, wouldn't you? Well, you would... It's like like the early days of Big Brother when you could just watch the live stream all the time. Exactly, but nothing in there is as entertaining as Jade Goody. Most of the time, you can't really see what's going on because he's got a car showroom. Yeah. He's got his five employees in the cars. He can see on his mobile phone on a beach in Turkey the shadow of a car Mm -hmm. and a man polishing it. You can't see what they're saying. You can't really see who they're talking to. Uh You can just... I I guess you can check that his employees have turned up for work that day. But is your dad technologically canny enough to be sure that the employees haven't just filmed themselves on a loop polishing a car and then they've somehow managed to jimmy the system so that is playing and they can just piss off for five days while your dad's in Turkey? Like like Kevin McAllister would do if he grew up to become an employee of my dad. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, No, he's not. He, He would be fooled by that. Yeah. That would be complex though and a little bit, I think, beyond his staff who are very technical people in the field of cars yes. and car mechanics probably not so into jimmying cctv s- systems well then he's lucky isn't he but it is addictive and i i wonder whether because when i was a child if you had this as well when i was about 12 13 one of the many fantasies i had about being a grown-up would be that i would be uh, the guy in sliver basically but mm-hmm. i would i don't know why i had this fantasy but i always imagined when i was rich enough to have my own house one of the things I would have, apart from my own postal book so I could get pornography, would be <laughs> I'd have mirrored uh, walls, whole mirrored walls God. in like guest bedrooms. And it wasn't just about perfect on people whilst they were getting changed, although obviously that was part of it. It was so that I could then just go and listen to people's conversations behind closed doors. But then why would you need mirrors for that? Yeah, but it wasn't cameras. It was it was me standing yeah. behind the mirror listening. Yeah, because but, they but wouldn't also know I was looking, there. presumably. Because if it yeah. was just a wall, exactly, it looked like a wall. You could still listen. I could you just still couldn't listen. see. Whereas yeah. you want the two way mirror. Whereas thing. of course they'd be very aware because the house would be full of mirrors. So uh, how have you done up the guest room in your new house? <laughs> <laughs> just mirrors, floor to ceiling. <laughs> we like it. That's that's not a recording device in the potpourri. Nah. <laughs> Uh, does uh, Dr. David A. Holmes MBBS mean why is it that they can't do that thing like they used to on X Files where they were like, here's a piece of grainy footage, Just zoom, zoom in, that in for me. zoom in, crystal zoom in. clear, yeah. and HD. Yeah, that's a fake tooth. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first clue back to the gold merchant we met last week. Zoom in on that barcode on that thing he's holding. <laughs> no, that's a number eight, not a B. Mm. Duh. You're right, you never once, not even just to balance it so it seemed more convincing when that did happen, ever saw the scene where they were like, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. Oh, I can't see him. He's blurry. Oh, what's that? Yeah, that's the same bloke, but it's just too blurry quality is bad. Never happens once. Have you got the footage? No, we we took over it. it. (laughs) The match was on. Hello, this is Joseph Katz. Um, Helen and Ollie, answer me this. What 
is the average speed of an escalator? Uh, escalators, as they're produced now, go anywhere between 90 and 180 foot per minute. That's the range. Right, okay, some of them feel like they're going a lot slower. Yeah, well, some of them are designed to go slowly because they have a different purpose. For example, in a department store, uh, the purpose is that whilst you're going up, you're looking around at the garments and uh, merchandise, thinking, oh, I'll, I'll go to level two and try that on. That's why it takes some to get to the toilet. Why it takes some, yes, of course, the point about escalators is that they are slower than elevators, but they can carry more people. Uh, you can yes. get 10,000 people per hour on an average. Oof escalator i'm pausing because i keep wanting to say elevator when i'm saying escalator and vice versa it's not like there was an aerosmith song love and an escalator <laughs> it should have been up as we're going down should have been because they could have had love with ten thousand people instead of just a few i reckon you could do that on the really long escalator in uh, angel station you know the one that's like the longest in europe well uh, st petersburg underground would be the best place 949 feet there wow yeah, not just love but a whole marriage on an escalator there how long would that take i was going to say 180 feet per minute so that's uh, that's almost five minutes you well could i'm not sure it. that is the fastest so they go as fast as 180 foot. I don't know how fast that one goes. Your average escalator is set to go at 145 foot per minute. But um, is it possible for, say, a station to speed up an escalator a bit at rush hour to get more people going through? I don't think so, no. Um... I mean, possible technologically, yes, but I don't think the station controller has that command. My mum used to be afraid of uh, escalators. She wouldn't travel yeah. on escalators. Well, people did fall down. Them I quite think she a lot. fell down yeah. on one when she was pregnant with me, and she wouldn't do it. That after explains that. Yeah. so much. Also, you can get stuck in them. I remember seeing a lot. Them. How do you get stuck in one? Well, I remember seeing a lot more warning videos and things when oh, I was young. You get clothing like, you, trapped. Yeah, clothing trapped. If you stand too close to the side, your foot would yes. get sucked in. Don't see that much anymore. Not so much anymore. People no. are obviously savvy. In India, they have sari guards on the escalator. Oh, Very smart because you don't want to be caught with an unraveling sari. Nope. In places like Hamleys, they've got those kind of plastic guards as you yeah. go up into the ceiling so yeah. you don't put your arm up and get your arm chopped because oh, too yeah. many people in Hamleys are looking for a way out of this life <laughs> <laughs> hello I'm Wilson the ball from Castaway and here is my song about my favourite balls <clears throat> football rugby ball volleyball ball Tennis ball, Zoe ball, basketball, netball, handball, debutante ball, bowling ball, baseball, big sweaty ball. Answer Me This Sports Day, a marathon of fun and games, out now at answermethispodcast.com slash albums. Here's a question from Lizzie from Sydney in Australia who says, I have been accepted into animal and veterinary bioscience at the University of Sydney and I'm very excited to commence next year because this will allow me to transfer to veterinary science later and then enter my ultimate dream career... Opera singer. ...and be a veterinary surgeon. Oh. There is one slight problem. And when she says slight, she actually means extremely significant, massive problem. She hates animals. I am allergic to certain kinds of animals and animal hair or fur. Mm. The type varies so much that I can't pin down exactly what sets my allergies off. For example, in December 2014, I went away for a month and when I got back, I was allergic to my own cat. What? Which That's may, hell. Which may not be that weird because I was initially allergic to her when she adopted us, but I also became allergic to my best friend's cat who has a very different kind of hair to my cat. I never had a problem with being allergic to them before I went on this trip, which makes it even weirder. I've had this problem all my life with the allergies just sort of coming and going with no obvious kind of pattern. E.g. I didn't grow out of my allergies, nor does being exposed to the triggering animal for a long time seem to help, nor am I allergic to just a specific species (laughs) or type of animal. You know when sometimes people 
get into psychotherapy because mm. they themselves have mental health issues. Yeah. I do wonder whether Lizzie is only studying veterinary science to try and work out what her own allergies are. <laughs> She's really become an allergy specialist then, <laughs> of humans. When I did work experience at a vet, I must admit that I was kind of almost dying and had to pretend <laughs> that I had a cold to excuse my red eyes using an inhaler and runny nose. Luckily, they didn't notice my blotchy skin. You would have thought that the whole point of work experience would be to try the job and see whether it's suitable for you. Indeed. You know, that is really what is in it for you from the work experience. I mean, the ideal thing about work experience is that it is not near fatal. Yes, (laughs) it flags up crucial operational issues. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be a truck driver, do you have arms? That kind of thing. Well, Lizzie says, generic hay fever and allergy medication works very well, but I'm terrified that when I become a vet, I will have to use it for the rest of my life, thus wasting a lot of money on medication, or I would become immune to the effects of the medication because of the continual use. Yes, that can happen, but I would argue that the medication isn't a waste because you would be earning a lot more as a vet than you would spend on generic medication. Mm. I'm scared of actually asking or telling anyone in the profession or anyone I know about this because I really don't want them to think I'm incapable of achieving this feat. It's a hard and very long course. I don't want people to think I'm an idiot for going into a rather ironic field of work either, or waste my nine years studying to discover I really cannot function around animals on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) Particularly if you knew it right from the beginning. Indeed. (laughs) But she's been accepted, so she's already on the path to doom. It's as if the next nine years have already happened. So Ollie answered me this. Am I an idiot for pursuing such a career given my allergies? I've always known what I wanted to do with my life and do not envy most of my arty friends who don't. That's not just an arty thing, I think, not knowing what you want to do. That's almost everybody I know in every species of pursuit. That's true, but it's also true to say that a lot of the people who drift towards the arts are the people who haven't got a clue what they want to do. Yeah, well, it's, it's easier, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so not being able to do this would probably send me into a perpetual existential crisis. Help! What should I do? Whew. Well, uh, as Helen pointed out, um, you're framing the use of medication for the rest of your career as something which is uh, thousands of dollars wasted. Uh, I do think that is something you're just going to have to accept. Has she not been to a doctor? (laughs) They're not going to rat on her to her future veterinary employers. (laughs) Lizzie, if you haven't been to a doctor and if you haven't been to an allergy specialist, go now because there might be something really obvious that they know about and you don't. Or they might be able to prescribe a specific antihistamine that would make things so much better. Yeah, well, actually, I know that at Cambridge University, scientists there are actually already working on an inhaler for animal allergens. Uh, mm. And they're they're two years into a five year process, according to the article I read in 2013. Okay, so, so it'll be, mm. be well could, finished by the time she needs it. Could be commercially available. Also, you can do courses of allergy shots, which are meant to cure you within five years, but it does mean getting jabs every week. But in any case, my my point being, even if for the rest of your life you have to spend thousands of dollars on medication, as you say, you want to get into veterinary medicine because you're passionate about it. You yeah. like working with animals. It's what you've always wanted to do. It's hard to find something you really want to do. It's not just for the money. No. As it happens, that is a job that if you do well, you're going to earn a lot of money anyway. So actually, you know, you're going to be earning enough that you'll be able to pay for the medicine. And, you know, other people have to migrate to different continents to get the job that they want. Yeah. Other people have to get up at three in the morning. You know, some people have to send all their money to a kid they never see. Your thing is you're going to have to spend a portion of your income on anti-allergen material. Or, uh, in the course of her nine-year study, she might find a particular area or specialism that actually works for her, like if she got really interested in reptilian pets or fish. Is there a career in being a reptilian vet? In Australia? In Sydney? Yeah. Yeah. They've got lots of novelty reptiles. Tortoise vet! Also, (laughs) I do... Jellyfish vet! I do think, although she does say as well 
that um you know you can't say continued exposure will make it get better or anything no. like that the only case she gave us going away from her cat for a month then returning to her cat and being allergic to her own cat when she wasn't before mm. does suggest to me that actually in some cases continued exposure has nullified the the uh, reaction she was getting yeah well she mm. said her allergies come and go but i suppose yeah. it's a bit of a gamble for her point is if she's a full-time vet even if she spends six months in pain actually maybe eventually her body will find a way of resisting the constant fur i suppose you just can't guarantee it she she wouldn't be the only vet who is allergic to animals there are quite a lot and um and they say it is hard and you just make sure you take the meds when you're entering into a bad patch and keep your hands really clean because if you don't have too much of the animal on your skin then it's a bit better but also i know like you know there are a lot of cat lovers who are allergic to cats and the advice to those people is, well, if you want to have a cat, what you do is you have a bedroom at home, mm-hmm. which is... Cat-free. Which is your bedroom, yeah. which is cat-free. It's not the cat's bedroom. However much you like the idea of a cat on your bed when you go to sleep purring, doesn't come in. And yeah. not only is it cat-free, it is co- completely pet-free. <laughs> I like the way you said Coco there. <laughs> it's completely Coco-free. Uh, you remove carpets, you remove wall hangings, you remove anything that attracts yeah. dust. You make it the most sort of allergen-pure room in the house. So it's a bit like you're sleeping in an MRI scanner. Exactly. You don't have any... You have anti-allergenic bed linen, you yeah. don't have, you know, duck feathers and all the rest of it. And so the idea being... Eight hours a day at exactly, least. Exactly. A third clear. of your life, you're yeah. not around pet fur. Very smart. So I, I would extrapolate further and say if you're around animals all day, mm-hmm. then unfortunately you probably shouldn't have pets at home. Yeah. You might have to make yeah, that decision. Yeah, yeah. Except for reptile, tortoise pets, Except for jellyfish. <laughs> if she's not willing to sacrifice her dream career for her health, then uh, that's, that's a price worth paying, I think, not having the pets at home. Yes, exactly. Not having pets at home. And actually, maybe even when you go out wearing one of those weird masks so that you're, you, as much as possible you are limiting your exposure the rest of the time, then you can probably handle being at work for 10 hours a day being around animals as long as you're careful. I, I think this is a very difficult decision to make, actually, because mm. uh, for a lot of my adult life, I've been in the wilderness career-wise, not sure what I want to do. And Imagine really- if you became allergic to microphones, Helen. <laughs> I know. If I hadn't found uh, podcasting as a career, there could have been another 50 years of this mm. uh, wilderness wandering. Therefore, I always think people who know what they want to do are really, really lucky. Mm. And it would be such a shame for her not to be able to do it. But I do think it would be rather dangerous for her to perform surgery on animals if she's sneezing <laughs> and her eyes are swollen shut. Uh, so yes. please be sensible, Lizzie. I think that's right. But as you say, there are other vets in this situation. Yes. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if once you get to veterinary school, you meet other people that are allergic to animals too. Yeah, but she says she doesn't want to ask anybody. But why can't you ask people that are not connected to you? So people in different countries who work as vets. You can just email people. In fact, there are probably vets doing podcasts. There are probably vets doing podcasts where they answer people's vet problems. You should give them a call. Yeah, allergen me this. That's what you need to find. Sick puppies. That's what it's probably called. <laughs> Well, that's the end of Answer Me This episode 313. Deal with it. But there'll be more uh, in the next episode of Answer Me This. won't be more now. That really is it. Well, there's like two minutes of more. Yeah. That's just this business. That's just this is faff. We're just wrapping up, really. We just can't bear to say goodbye. <laughs> We're keeping you hanging on a little bit more. <laughs> Never but can say goodbye. What we mean today is please send us your questions mm. for future episodes. And uh, our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Where you can also find links to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and also, if you want to buy our albums and apps and things, remember to go to answermethisstore.com. Um, and if you uh, do buy any of those things, then you're helping support the show and keeping it going. Please do. Please do. Please do. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, please return in two weeks' time. Bye! Bye. Bye.